Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Thanks for downloading this episode of Scuffed. Our guest today is a man who's a little bit grumpy and argumentative. He's certainly come after me before, but he's a passionate student of the game, a coach, a ref, and the host of a podcast that explores soccer, how to play it, how to coach it, how to teach people to play it at all levels. His name is John Pronich, and he's the host of the 343 podcast at that Croatian guy on Twitter. I'm sure you've seen him before. John, welcome to Scuffed. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much for having me, man. This is a, a role reversal. I think a long time ago I had you on my podcast. Early days, yeah, early days switch, are scuffed. Switch it. I really appreciated that. I thought yeah. we had a good conversation. Absolutely, yeah. One of one of many. I know that you know people see our interactions on Twitter, or they they you know hear different things, whatever. But you know, you and I have spoken on the phone. I don't know how many times and, and texted. I don't know how many times. Yep. So I hope people don't read too much into what they in, in the little they see uh, amongst us. We get along all right. We get along all right. <laughs> you're you're dealing with some kind of leg injury, I see. Are you and you're about to get surgery? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oof, yeah, fun fun times for me. Yeah, I, I, on Thanksgiving morning, I tore my rectus femoris muscle, which is that big quad muscle right in the front of your thigh. So I basically ripped that in half, and I've been dealing with that. I've re-injured it twice since initially doing it, and because of the rate of recurrence and and the severity of the actual injury itself doctors are now gonna gonna try to repair it surgically so every day is just rehab and the gym and then post post rehab stuff and getting ready for the for the next day but it's just kind of building the muscles around it to get strong right now so that way when surgery happens uh i'll have a a quicker bounce back uh, when i when i restart rehab I don't know, three to four weeks after surgery. So that's uh, that's a day in the life of John right now. Yeah, man. Sorry about that. Can I suppose you can't <laughs> ref right now? No. Yeah, I can. I can barely walk. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, so I haven't, haven't refed the game since November. Um, and the surgery you said was in March. Is it in March? Yeah, it'll be March 18th is the day of my surgery. Okay. Well, all the best to you. Let's get into it. Let's Thank get into you, the man. let's get into the content here. Um, let's do it. One of the things I've noticed you saying a lot on social media is you don't know. Quote, you don't know, or you don't know what you don't know. What do a lot of the people you're interacting with not know? And we're talking about American soccer here. There's a lot that people don't don't know, but American soccer wise. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um well, I'm gonna. I gotta figure out how I want to say this, I guess, without saying too much. Uh, okay. I, I've been privileged to to get to know a different side of soccer than I think a lot of people think even exists or know even exists, which is kind of like a behind the scenes or a back room or or those types of things. And as a youth soccer coach, I was so focused on just the day to day happenings of coaching kids of running practice of mm-hmm. competing in a, in a local league circuit. And a lot of times coaches and parents and players are so zoomed in on just those little things that they touch on a daily or a weekly basis 
that they don't, they, they just don't know how much else or how much more is happening uh, in the American soccer environment that is actually directly impacting what is taking place on their field. Uh, you know, why, why is one team outside of the development academy versus why is one team is involved in the development academy? Uh, why is the development academy uh, only for boys in my area? Why is ECNL even uh, existing? So like all these different, like different things are, are all happening. And there's just so much to tackle mm-hmm. in American soccer that a lot of times people literally do not know what is, what is impacting their, their own personal situation, their trajectory of their player, the trajectory of their coach, the, the access to coaching education. Like there's so many big, 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 big items that that a lot of times just uh people just don't know and like i said i i'm I'm very fortunate and privileged to have been exposed to some of that uh, through you know talking to people on my podcast through getting to know more and more people in the professional game through what i've had to deal with with refereeing soccer um and, and all kinds of different facets and and yeah, just a little bit more of a holistic view on, on the game now that I, I, I'm able to see it a little bit differently than a lot of people. And I still feel like I haven't even done a good job of explaining that because, again, there, there's just there's so much behind the scenes, behind the curtain type stuff that people just really honestly do not know. Mm-hmm. And because it's not on their it's not on their radar, it doesn't affect them. I, I put that in air quotes. Um, at least it you doesn't know, affect them no in a way that they can see immediately, right? It's kind of what you're saying. Exactly. So, for for example, like here's a good example, uh, uh, kind of like a a more recent example too. All these kids in the development academy, all the all the families, recently had to sign like some paper uh, that basically released their their rights to the to the club that they're that they're part of, right? And as a parent of a 12 year old that's unsuspecting doesn't know anything about you know where their club or where their players uh trajectory might be going in the next four or five six years uh you know they might treat it like a waiver uh like oh maybe my kid just needs this so he can keep playing with the chicago fire academy or yeah. whatever example right and and then you know come to find out four years from now like oh like my player is actually really good and he's gaining some interest from from Europe or from from Mexico or whatever, but because they signed that paper four years ago when the kid was twelve, oh man, like sorry, like you know, the, your player's too expensive now or think it's just these are things that people don't know, right? And and these are the things that don't get a lot of airtime. They don't get in front of people a lot, and because uh, you know little Susie's parents or Johnny's parents, you know, when they're when they're twelve years old, they didn't see it right in front of them at that time. They you know. They didn't know. I don't. I, I don't know if, if that's a no. That makes in sense. The realm of uh, yeah. I mean, does it all? So let's just to be as like explicit as we can be about all this. Does it all come back to pro rel? Is that your view? It's all comes back to the lack of promotion and relegation in American soccer. Nah, I mean, it, it's easy to draw to draw roads back to that. I, it's that's that's one major major major. Uh, component. That's one major thing that that we are missing. But it, it, in a way, it, it's also just a, a, a 
a way for ideas to compete, right? And so in order to uh, get your ideas, your way of playing, your philosophy, your uh, your way of doing business, in order to get that into the limelight, right? Like you have to be able to compete and compete and compete yourself to the top mm-hmm. or, or to the pedestal or to the megaphone or, or whatever, you know, philosophical thing you want to put, put right there. But if you don't even have that opportunity to, to compete in the arena, if you don't have, if you don't have an opportunity to even step foot in there, then your ideas, how are you going to gain interest or, or, or gain support for all of your ideas or your way of doing things or, or, or those types of things. And so I guess what I'm kind of getting at is that in, a, in American soccer, U.S. soccer, um, USSF to be specific, and with Major League Soccer, there is no competition of ideas. Uh, people with alternative ideas are, are considered outsiders and they're, and they're shunned. They're, they're pushed to the fringes of you know, the organizations that they're part of. If not pushed to the fringes, pushed completely out the door. Uh, I, I mean, just obliterated from the face of the earth. And, and the people that get closer and closer to the pedestal, to the megaphone, to the table, are the people that are yes men, uh, yes women. They, they are the people that agree with the way that U.S. soccer are doing things, and 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 they're not going to um, try to disrupt anything. And from everything that we have in in like human history, right? Like that's that's a, these are bad signs. These are these are very bad signs. And you need a competition of ideas. Um, you need two sides, three sides, four sides, uh, arguing and 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 working together to make things better. And with the way that American soccer is set up with the lack of promotion relegation, you have just kind of just one, uh, uh, you're better with words than me. Is it monolithic? Is that, is that a, is that yeah, a good monolithic? Word yeah. the way that, that's a perfect yeah. way, I think. So, so the, that's kind of how us soccer operates. Like it's just one, one way of doing things. And if you don't like it, you can leave and they will bring in somebody else that does. And that's the way that things are going to continue. And do, do you really relegation, think? Well, I, I do want to get into promotion relegation, but let me just ask this: Do you really think yeah. it's so binary, where like if you, unless you are a yes man or woman, you don't get close to Chicago? And and let me let yeah. me just add: I think you know who the people that are making the decisions. Um, you know, at least from the outside looking in. There's there's been a little bit of change there, right? Like Jay Berhalter's on his way out. There may be some somebody behind the curtain behind Jay. I don't know. Um, but you know, Ernie Stewart's relatively new. So who I, like who's the so two part question? I guess is it so binary? And if it's so binary, who is the who's behind the curtain? Who's the person that people are saying yes to consistently over the years? Well, it's a good, it's a good question. And, and I don't, I'm not going to try and speculate and, and say that I know who the, you know, the conspirators are or anything like that. I, I just kind of look at it from, from my point of view and from the touch points that I've had within us soccer, like I said, through coaching, through refereeing, through my podcast, through talking mm-hmm. with professional players and coaches, through watching interviews with, you know, the current and former professionals um, and, and trying to take all of that data and then, you know, forming an, forming an opinion from that. So um, it's, it's not something that I just, you know, pull out of my ass for lack of better terms. But 
yes, I do believe that, that there are more yes people brought into the fold than, than not. I believe that the evidence over the last three to five years, maybe I could be wrong with those numbers, but the, the people that uh, started to kind of make noise were then asked to leave. Um, and, and some of that more high profile, uh, more recent examples, maybe Tab Ramos, uh, Sean Securis, yeah. pretty much every, pretty much every youth national team coach, uh, all the way up to the senior national team coach when, with, with Jurgen. Um, you know, if, if you make noise, you in, in the last three, five, six, seven years, it, it was frowned upon. And, and at some point you were asked to leave or, or were just not welcomed back. So I, I, I kind of take all those things, um, you know, as individual stories and piece those together to create just a bigger piece of, of evidence, I guess, for, for believing, believing that yes, people are the people that us soccer are looking for. And I tweeted out recently, and this didn't, this didn't get as much traction as, as it probably should. Um, not, not my tweet. Uh, I'm just saying the quote in general, cause it's a video that us soccer released. Uh, but this video, uh, of Anthony Hudson, the, the new, one of the newer youth soccer coaches for us soccer, you know, in his video, he said, uh, my job is to completely embrace the direction of us soccer. And, you yeah. know, that, 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 that just, you know, to me again was like, yeah, okay. So here's another yes man for you. No problem. So, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess I, I should say I, there are definitely, I agree. There are definitely examples of agitators being pushed out over the last few years. I mean, there's no, there's no disputing that. Let's talk about, let's talk about ProRail. Why is it so important? Like give us the, give us the full throated, vivid, uh, inspiring <laughs> portrait of why it's so important. Well, um, I, I kind of touched on it a, a little bit ago. Um, it's a, it, it's a competition of, of ideas and different ways to do things. There is no one right answer. You see it every day on, on soccer Twitter where you have people, you know, exchanging ideas and, and putting their thoughts out there. This is the best way to do it, or this is the best way to do it. And there's no way to determine the best way to do it unless you put those two ideas uh, in a ring with each other and let them fight it out. Right. So, right. you know, us soccer saying that, Hey, you know, this is the best way, this is the best way to do it to all, all their coaches, whatever, you know, well, maybe it's not the best way to do it. And, and maybe there, there are better ways to do it, but these, the, the, the mechanisms are not in place for a, a team from Los Angeles to, to prove themselves, uh, all the way through, uh, through the ranks, right? Because that's the way that it's done all, all over the world, except for North America now, because Mexico is going to be leaving that, um, that way of, of competing as well. So that leaves Canada, USA, and Mexico as like the three nations, maybe three or four. I think Australia still hasn't embraced it. So maybe, three... it's, maybe it's part of the new NAFTA agreement that you have to. <laughs> Just that's kidding. right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's essential, uh, to, to, to football all around the world is that, you know, everybody has a chance to, to come up with their own idea and, 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 and put their ideas, bring their ideas to life. And if it works, 
and it keeps working and it keeps working, and it keeps working. Awesome. You are given the opportunity to, to climb all the way as high as, as you possibly can. And if your ideas suck and, and your philosophy sucks, well, then you get exposed and you keep sucking and then you keep going down, down, down until, until you've, uh, until you don't exist anymore. Right. Um, and, and, and some people here in American soccer are, are for whatever reason wanting to protect, uh, these, these people that, that, you know, started soccer in 1996 or started soccer in 1994 in the United States or, or whatever. And, and so they're like, well, we can't just, let those let those teams go to the second division and the third division and the fourth division. Like what happens if those teams go out of existence? If they go out of existence, it's the same thing as if the liquor store down the street from my house goes out of existence. It means they are bad at business and that's yeah. their fault. Uh, I mean, to, to, to be completely blunt. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But th- there's no reason to protect my liquor store down the street uh, from going out of business if they suck at business and, and they just because they existed in 1996. Like that's that's totally illogical to me, um, yeah. and, and that seems to be one of the the reasons that that always pops up on soccer Twitter. It's like, well, what about these guys? They invested so much money back in the day. Plenty of people have invested plenty of money in plenty of things, and there's been no protection for uh, for many people around the entire world. Just because you invest money in something does not guarantee you protection for life uh, for anything. Or uh, or for and, life and that for your life that, and for the life of your children and grandchildren, which is I yeah, I sort of right. suspect is what's going to happen in America with soccer. Yeah, I mean it's certainly yeah. it's certainly appealing, you know. Well, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off. Keep going if you no yeah no no well, <laughs> I yeah uh, and, I mean, and it, it is a it is a it, it is a very big topic, Adam, and I can already tell that in the in the five minutes I've been rambling, I I've. I've gone in different in many different directions, right? But I think it, it what it what it ultimately comes down to is that if we if we really do want to be a, a powerhouse soccer nation, if we really do want to be like the, the the American dream, if we want that to come true in American soccer, we need to give as many people as possible the opportunity to, to prove themselves on the field and to welcome as many ideas on how to succeed as physically and humanly possible and to give those ideas an arena, a proper arena to compete in. Right now, we don't have an arena that welcomes everybody. We have an arena that uh, only allows X amount of people to compete and only allows the rest to stand by and watch. And not only are those people asked to, to watch, but those people are asked to uh, support, uh, with, you know, financially and, and fanatically, uh, the, these, these, uh, select few that have been welcomed into the arena. And that to me seems wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think I actually don't even know how many people on a pure, like philosophical level would disagree with what, what you just said. I know there are some, but like, soccer fans who are even minimally educated about the world game, they recognize how cool promotion and relegation is and how like, and this whole, this, this competition that is engendered and like, it's weird that the United States of America, which is, you know, one of the most capitalist nations in the world is one of the three nations. There may be a couple more, maybe Australia, right. Doesn't have pro, I don't know. Yeah. A handful of nations around the world 
that doesn't have sort of soccer capitalism. And it's because we it's because our other sports uh, our other sports are governed on this closed system model. That's sort of the model in American sports and the model in in Europe obviously is promotion relegation. And we just kind of like fell into this. Don't you think? I mean, it just kind of happened. Here we are, 25 years later. I don't know if we just fell into it, but uh, I think there was definitely, you know, intent behind the design sure, of sure. American soccer. And I, and, I, and I think there was definitely, you know, in, it, it, yeah, just, it, it didn't just come out of thin air uh, the way that soccer was set up in this country. It came out the of the structure that, of the NFL, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, there's been, you know, pieces of, of like historical, like little documents, like paperwork and things like that, that have shown that the plan for American soccer did include promotion relegation at different points. And, and the plan hmm. uh, to, to, to get the 1994 world cup was, you know, it, it just hinged on, on a professional league, being constructed right and so uh that plan that initial plan uh to build that league included promotion relegation included uh the the entire country you know let every letting everybody in and 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 at some point they they made the decision to model it more like the nfl more like the nba because those things were working in the early 90s late 80s early 90s and and so that's the that's the direction that it went and that's the direction that we still have today, regardless of all the, all the faults that exist in, in all of those leagues, right. Um, Mm -hmm. including American soccer and, and people are always like, well, you know, if it works for American football, then why, why won't it work for American soccer? And it's like, if you, if you really, if you really look at it, American football isn't really competing with any other, uh, international, the counterparts, right? It, yeah. It's really just a, a domestic league. That is the competition. They they are their own competition in that sport. But American soccer is is not that. And and now we're starting to see that. Uh, we're starting to see some of the impacts of of not playing by the same rules as the rest of the world um, with things like training compensation and solidarity payments and kids leaving to go to Europe and all kinds of other things. So we didn't want to play by the, by the world's rules. And then now some teams are getting burned by that. Right. Uh, American soccer is getting yeah. kind of burned uh, by that. And now they're, now they're trying to put some other defense mechanisms in place uh, to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, they, so that no more damage can be inflicted on them. Um, but it, it's also them recognizing like, oh shit, like maybe we did something wrong. So, yeah. But then the, the recognition of that is followed by sort of a piecemeal, piecemeal approach. Um, I don't know what, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but like, what do you, what do you think is the like way to get to pro rel? Like, how does it happen? Just by us soccer saying like, we're doing this MLS has to get on board. Bingo, bango. Um, is that it? Well, ideally, ide- ideally that, that, that would be what would happen, right? So a lot of people are throwing around these, these ideas of uh, promotion relegation in Major League Soccer um, or, or MLS 1, MLS 2, MLS 3, right? Like thinking that just because there's some type of 
of movement up and down between leagues that that fixes the problem. It's like, well, not, not really, because then you're still dealing with, uh, with a closed door at the bottom of that league. Right. And, or at the bottom of that, of that little pyramid. And you're still only dealing with franchises that are, are within major league soccer's setup. So you're not welcoming in everybody to compete. So that's, that's a big, that's a big, big issue. So that, that's one thing that people need to understand is that it can't be promotion relegation in major league soccer. So it has to be promotion relegation for American soccer, uh, U.S. soccer. So that's, that's one, one thing that is commonly misunderstood. Um, but now that that's been addressed, I totally yeah, ideally yeah. it would be, yeah, I, I, ideally it would be U.S. soccer, you know, coming out and saying, Hey, in five years from now, we are going to introduce uh, promotion relegation between the first and second divisions uh, or first, second and third divisions. Maybe uh, I was trying not to get greedy. And <laughs> so you guys, you guys have, you guys have five years to mobilize your plan uh, for, for how, how you guys are going to operate your businesses. You guys have five years to prepare yourselves for this competition. And that also uh, it, it mobilizes the rest of the market too, right? So like if that's going to happen in five years and six years, they're going to open up the door to, to division three, seven years, division four, uh, eight years, division, five, then, you know, just opening all the doors at, at some point, right? U.S. soccer has to come out and say that though. Yeah. They can't, they can't just do it overnight. People, this is another common thing, right? Like U.S. soccer is not going to, and should not, uh, you know, say, we are going to have promotional allegation starting in 2021. If they said that today, that, that would not be good for American soccer, right, in my opinion. But if they said, we are going to do it in 2024 or 2025, that's, I think that's good for American soccer. It gives plenty of people time to mobilize, to uh, adjust their business plans, to get their rosters perfected, bring in the right uh, office staff, bring in the right coaching staff, everything. It mobilizes the market. Mm-hmm. and gives people time to prepare. And if you cannot prepare yourself for business in, fi- in a five-year time span, why do you need protection for your business at all? Why, why, why should you even be in business to begin with uh, is kind of where I go at that point. Like yeah. if you're going to bottom feed for, for five years, then what's the point of you even owning a professional sports team at that point? Right. Well, the point is, yeah, no, I totally agree. And they're, and they're a franchise in MLS that you can very reasonably imagine would not be able to mobilize in five years. There, there are plenty, there's plenty of bottom feeding going on, but I think the argument, you know, nobody will say this, but the real deal is that what these MLS owners are buying into and what the early MLS owners bought into is a collective, it's a collective investment, right? It's uh, a, they, the, the franchise fees are higher now because the valuation is higher. And, um, you know they don't. They're not interested in mobilizing a individual business. They're they're interested in being shareholders in a. I don't know a collective brand, a collective or organization. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how do you? Well, how, is there a is is it? Do you think it's a it's a sellout to talk about sweetening the pot for those guys, mostly guys? Let's be honest, and uh, and like find a way to sort of pay them out over time for the, for the good of the sport long-term just to, so that they won't, you know, essentially file a, a lawsuit that adds to the, 
half dozen lawsuits USSF is already dealing with? Well, a couple of things. I don't. I don't think that people necessarily understand the the amount of investment that these people have really put into their MLS franchises. And what I mean by that is actually it's probably a smaller percentage of their actual net worth than people would imagine. Um, you know, when you're talking about billionaires investing. Uh, you know, $25 million, maybe 10 years ago. I can't remember what the, what the valuation of a team was 10 years Sounds ago. Sounds about right. Um, e- even, even to this point now where it's, you know, 250 or $300 million, uh, you're seeing that spread amongst more people. Uh, number one. So if you look at LAFC's ownership, like how many people are at that ribbon cutting, right? How many, how many very wealthy people are at that ribbon cutting number one. And then the majority owner, so you're looking at, you know, somebody that just owns, I can't remember what the percentage is, for lack of better terms, 50% of the club uh, or 50% of the franchise. Um, so you're looking at a billionaire now that has only put in uh, maybe $125 million, uh, to, to start their franchise. So I think when people see these numbers of $300 million, um, $250 million, all these different things, I, I think that, that is a, it's a massive amount of money, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But when you put it into perspective of a billionaire's profile, I, it's a very small percentage in actuality to that person, in my opinion. No, I, um, I I get that. I'm just thinking like, you know, rich people are really good at keeping their money and protecting their investments. And 100%. They, they, know how to use, they know how to use lawyers. And I just can't see the like the Robert Crafts of the world and the, I don't know who else, um, any of these owners letting this happen without filing a lawsuit. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I'm, maybe they'd be like, Oh, this, this would be great. But it seems like the chances. No, they're, of the not lawsuit... gonna, they're not going to welcome it, Adam. Yeah. They're, 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 they're not going to welcome it. And I think Gary actually had a, a great tweet the other day that said, you know, the people that are benefiting from the way that things are as they are currently don't want more competition. Yeah. And of the course people not. that are, are not, and the people that are not benefiting, uh, like you and I, for example, right. Uh, we not only don't mind competition, a lot of us want to compete. A lot of us want to be able to get in the, get in the, in the ring and throw some punches and, and without, without something like promotion relegation, we can't. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, you're leaving it up to people that can afford at this point to get into the ring instead of, uh, the people that maybe can compete themselves or are, are, um, good enough, uh, to actually compete. So. That's the that's the big difference right now is that we only get uh, you know a, a small number of people that are that are able to compete at this t- at this time. Right. And yeah, those people are not going to go down <laughs> easy. Yeah, I would guess not. So so let me ask this: Is there any value to the soccer that is happening in the U.S. Um, if ProRel is not implemented? I mean, I I see. So I'm much more like I'm much less. Uh, passionate about it as you than you obviously about pro rel i see the value i like it i want it i would like for it to happen but i'm i'm kind of just like mm, well it's not going to happen anytime soon meanwhile i'm like re- i'm really excited about players like uh you know christian pulisic giovanni reina ulianes richie ledesma being being created by this flawed system is there I mean, how do you, let me ask it this way. How do you reconcile this, like what you see as like a deeply flawed system 
but also you love soccer and you like watching soccer and you and I know you like some of these players you you might not admit it right now but I know you like some of them so how do you reconcile those two things well I mean for, first off Adam it's like when you when you see something like an FC Dallas or an LA Galaxy or an NYCFC you know where you have these full-time academies and you have the kids that are playing Monday through or practicing Monday through Friday playing games on Saturdays of course you know, if, if the kids are doing that for, you know, 10 years of, of their youth careers, you know, they start at 10, or sorry, they start at eight. And, and by the time they're 18, yeah, they, they better be ready. And of course, you're going to create maybe, you know, one or two gems during, during that time frame. Uh, and, and those are those are very, very good things, right? But why, why would I be excited that we limit that to just 28 outlets? Or, tw- or or what, what? How many teams were in Major League Soccer last year? Twenty six, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's twenty six. Uh, that's what I'm. That's what. That's what I'm not excited about. Is saying, oh, no, only twenty six people can do this. Only only twenty only twenty six of you guys are going to be uh, considered considered you know fully professional clubs here in the United States. Only twenty six of you are going to be able to chase after your full uh, your full economic value. Uh, only, only 26 of, uh, of you guys are going to be able to reach your full potential as a club, as a community, um, as, as coaches, as players, that, that to me is where I, I get upset. So am I, am I happy that something like FC Dallas exists and, and they produce players, you know, that, that, that are, you know, above average quality? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about that, but you know, knowing that it's one of just, you know, 26 or 28 places that that's allowed to be, to be that makes me very upset considering the potential that we're missing out on in this country. I think that, you know, the city of Dallas alone should probably have, you know, multiple uh, full-time academies with multiple uh, clubs that have uh, first teams, whether they're all in the first division or not, mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, that's not a guarantee but they should at least be competing in the pyramid. You go to a city like Barcelona, I can't, I, I literally, I literally cannot tell you how many professional teams exist in Catalonia alone. There's probably more teams in Catalonia alone than there are professional teams in, in the United States, uh, at, at the first and second division. So it, it just, it blows my mind. You, you go over there and you, and you tour, you can tour youth clubs or you can, you can tour youth practices and, and you're walking around, and every youth practice you go to, the, the first team's training just across the uh, just across the park. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Every every club has a first team, and every club is competing to 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 get better and to climb the ladder. And if not, Adam, a lot of times too, maybe their goal isn't to get into the first division. Maybe their goal is to be in the sixth division, but then sell players to the first division. Maybe maybe that's their business model. And maybe that works for a, a, a team that comes from a, a town that's you know, 10,000 people. But that team is, you know, is part of a very vibrant and successful uh, soccer ecosystem in their country. And right now, we don't even have that in, in, in American soccer. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're from a city of 15,000 people, you're, you're not even on anybody's radar right now. And, and that's, that's a real bummer. Um, it is a bummer. I can't even remember the original question now. Well, that's okay. Let's move to the, let's move to some other stuff. So 
it seems to me like you there's a special place in your heart for the so- American soccer media and its failings. <laughs> um, what is the problem? What, in your opinion, is the problem with the American soccer media? That, which includes, uh, you know, in some small way, me. And me. Yeah, you're, you too. You too. What's your problem with yourself, John? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that we spend a lot of time talking about things that, uh, in, in all honesty, don't really matter. Um, we spend a lot of time... Tam and Gam? Um, yeah, we, we, we spend a lot of time... Um, yeah, we just we, we, we just spend a, a lot of time not touching on uh, important issues. We spend a lot of time. I don't want to say I, I don't want to include myself in this because I don't I, I don't pull punches, but I, I think American soccer media spends a lot of time brown nosing. Um, I, I, I think that they do a lot of time or spend a lot of time protecting. Um, I think they, they do a lot of narrative pushing, which I think is very unfortunate. And I, again, like through my, my experience of interviewing who knows how many people now over, over 250 episodes, I think now, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and my time, you know, over 15 years as, as a coach in, in youth soccer and college soccer and high school soccer, uh, over 20 years as a, as a referee, um, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen that and heard and, and watched so many different things happen. And knowing knowing what I know now, I, I listen to guys, for example, like Hercules Gomez um, and Sebastian Salazar talking about, you know, who's to blame, Jurgen or Bruce Arena. And I see those guys go back and forth, making it sound like it's going to be some intriguing conversation. And at the end of the, at the end of the interview, there was no substance to it. Like they 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 didn't say anything at all. They said, "Oh, Bruce and Jurgen share the blame." Like what? Like, okay, so why, why are we still bringing this up then? Why are we still even talking about this uh, two years since Bruce has been gone, three years since Jurgen's been gone, four years since Jurgen's been gone? Like, why are we still talking about that type of stuff? And, and so to me, just the, the media doesn't do any justice to the real issues like that, the, like why Bruce was brought in, why Jurgen was fired. No justice has been done for, for those topics, uh, you know, uh, nobody's really, really, really covered um, in the mainstream. Nobody's really covered Greg Berhalter uh, very critically, in my opinion. A lot of it has been very just kind of softball type stuff, um, hmm. and I think that's just a that, that's just a symptom of the of the environment. You get a lot of media members from major league soccer outlets that are kind of responsible for being like the local beat writer for, for their soccer newspaper as well. And you get a lot of people that uh, write for MLS so they can't maybe hold the, uh, hold us soccer's feet to the fire a lot of times uh, be, because you know, that, that is their job. That is, that is their employer um, a lot of times. And so I get, I get, I get it why a lot of these guys, perform their jobs the way that they do and girls the way they perform their, their jobs the way that they do. But that's not going to stop me from, from wanting them to be better at their jobs or from, from calling them out or telling them that, that you know, they, they need to be better. Um, so it, it, yeah, yeah. Right, maybe I'll stop there and see if you have anything else to, to come at me with. Well, 
I, you know, I have some thoughts about the media, like general media criticism. I mean, like you, you did name some names there. So I, I appreciate that. I, I guess one of my issues with people who criticize the media, whether it's like the media in general or soccer media is, you know, just saying like the media is bad or, you know, the media isn't doing its job is kind of like, I don't know how useful that is, you know? I, I like I like it yeah. when media criticism, which there's certainly room for, you know, there's certainly room for media criticism in every sphere, including this one. I like it when there's like specific, here's what I didn't like that this person did. I wish they would have done this, you know? And I think yeah. when we, when oh, we, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, I'll give you one more. And so a lot of times too, like you, you get guys that will uh, appear to be critical, They'll say something. They'll make they'll make a, a a statement after a game. It'll be like a hot take. It'll go viral on Twitter, um, and, and it'll it'll make you think that this person uh, you know appears to be a change agent, or uh, you know they believe in something different. Uh, Alexi Lawless is very good at doing something like that. He he's very good at you know taking a taking a topic and and and, and talking about it, but then always bringing it back to be in favor of. Uh, major league soccer or u.s soccer so he's he he he's always uh always finds a way to to make sure that he brings it up and then make sure you know everybody knows that hey but that's not going to work though because that's not what is good for american american soccer or u.s soccer and major league soccer another good example is taylor Quillman. uh taylor does a great job a lot of times in his little halftime rants he does, he's famous for that one after um, U.S. Soccer lost to Trinidad. And the the right. one race came. What are we doing here? Whatever. Uh, but then you see, you see Taylor, um, you know, super elated and, and over the top happy about his his home city of St. Louis getting a major league franchise uh, put in. And you see Taylor in favor in some different times of promotion relegation or hinting at that he's in favor of promotion relegation when ESPN covers. A, um, a U.S. Open Cup game, but then you know, a total celebration, you know, for from St. Louis getting a a Major League Soccer franchise, and so to me, it's like you you can't play both sides of that fence. Um, that that's very upsetting to me, and and it's something that maybe a lot of people don't notice. Um, maybe 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 I look too much into it, to be honest. Um, mm. Uh, but, I, but, but those are, those are, those are things that I see. So, so the thing is like, so am I hearing you right? That unless, unless a member of the media or a reporter or any kind of journalist is, uh, you know, actively advocating for pro rel and then, then you're going to have a hard time with that person. I mean, is that, is that fair mm, to say? No, no. And I, and I understand how that could, how, what I said could have came off that way. So I probably didn't, I wasn't clear enough. Uh, let, let me, let me rephrase it like this. They don't really believe anything, I guess is, is, is one way to put it, or they're so indoctrinated in the, in the way that, that is currently, or the way that they saw the game, or they brought up, they were brought up in the game that something like, uh, a major league soccer franchise being awarded just completely just reverts them back to, uh, you know, the way that, the way that it was like, oh yeah, like, you know, I remember when me and the boys used to get together and this is how it was. Like they don't really uh, believe in it a lot of times when they cover a topic that is like promotion relegation. So a lot of times Grant Wall will write about promotion relegation or he'll write about, uh, you know, something that is a little bit risque when it, when it comes to his profile of, of 
of coverage. But I, I don't, I don't see that as genuine. A lot of times I don't see it as that. He believes that that is, is what is actually happening or, or what is right or what is wrong. I, I think that a lot of times these guys do it for who knows what reason, Adam, I, I, I don't, I don't know the reason. And, and so that's why you get a lot of the flip-flopping is that I think these guys, a lot of times don't have strong beliefs either way. And that allows them to kind of just, just run around in circles. I don't know if that makes any more sense. It does. It does. It makes a little bit of sense. I, I guess I wonder, do you see a difference between like a reporter who is supposed to be, you know, talking to people and finding stuff out and quote unquote reporting news and say like, uh, Alexi Lawless, who is definitely not a reporter. Alexi Lawless is just a pundit, you know, a pundit slash, I don't know, pundit. Do you see the dis- a distinction there? Cause I, I mean, I'm, I, I definitely do like, uh, Paul Tenorio of the athletic is a totally to me is a totally different profession from what Taylor Twellman and Alexi Lalas do. Yes. So if you're asking if I see the difference between that, yeah. And, and maybe you can help me out because this is kind of your world it is, you know, I, I kind of get hung up and I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't think about this too much, but the difference between a reporter and a journalist and then somebody like, yeah, Alexi Lalas, which is kind of like a category of, of influencer almost yeah, talking um, head kind of yeah and so i i don't i don't enjoy stephen a smith i don't enjoy colin coward i don't enjoy those, those types of people and i really do feel like that that's the the route that alexi lawless took and that's the example that he tried to follow and, and and the way that he tries to to position himself in the american soccer market now he's nowhere near those guys level um right i i don't i don't think but uh, I, I think that that's what he that he tried to do, uh, or is trying still trying to do. Uh, and then and then yeah, you have guys like Paul, you have guys like uh, uh, Galarsep, you have guys like Grant, you have guys like uh, it, you know that 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 cast right. And, and those guys kind of operate in what I think of as kind of like half reporting, half journalism, or half like kind of like investigative journalism sometimes. And so you get a lot of times where they just kind of report the scores or they report a quote or, or they report something and there's no real substance to it. And then you, a lot of times too, they, those guys will write a, a very, very long story uh, about a topic. Uh, and I'm left wondering at the end of the story, it's like, well, why'd this guy write the story? Like, well, like what was the guy's intention behind writing the story? Was there an intention? Does there need to be an intention? And the most recent example would be Grant Wall's writing of that article about Jermaine Jones. And so I finished that article and I was like, what was this article even about? Like there was no real like uh, direction to the article and it ended. And I was like, well, that, like, that's it. Like there was just a couple like big quotes from Jermaine and, and that was all. I, I didn't really, I, I didn't see the need to incorporate any of the stuff about his wife or his personal life or anything like that. Like to me, it was just kind of like, like, eh. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering like Grant's intention behind writing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and or does he have to have an intention? You and I no, before, I don't think he does. I think we started. Re- I think the intention and, needs and, to and be so that, like, is it interesting? That's is it, if it's interesting, yeah. then you report it. And I mean, you know, don't be TMZ, but like, if it's, I think that's the reporter's job is to tell people stuff they didn't know that is that they are interested enough to read. Um, so I guess so, let me ask you basics. as. as 
as a reporter and a fan of American soccer and a, and a, and a person in, you know, interested in, in informing other people about what's happening in, in the landscape. Like what did, what did anybody learn from that piece about Jermaine Jones? I loved it. I thought it was almost like, I thought Jermaine's sort of, uh, sensibility was almost like poetic, you know, he's, it's kind of reminded me of day of the locust. It's one of those books you have to read in uh, freshman English class in college. Uh, about like a guy who goes to Hollywood from New York and um, gets disillusioned with it. So I, so I just thought like, I just thought, dude, Jermaine is going through a lot of the same stuff. A lot of humans are going through. He wants to be there. He doesn't want to be there. He's he he likes it, but he does, but he's disillusioned with it. He wants to take his his kids away from there. I don't know. Just to hear somebody that I have, you know, I have followed Jermaine Jones for some time. I still sometimes think about that goal he scored against Portugal. I love the way some of the things about the way he played. And, you know, he to me he's an interesting guy and the fact that Grant got got him on the record saying a bunch of interesting stuff, to me that's useful journalism. Does it like advance a cause or figure, you know, force an issue? No, but I don't think that should be the journalist's job, you know. That maybe that should be the pundit's job, but the the when I say journalist, I mean reporter. But the reporter's job is uh, just to to tell people stuff they didn't know, and and be interesting. And I will say before I end my little rant here, I think as you know, as somebody who's been accused of different agendas, you know, sometimes I'm accused of opposite agendas simultaneously. That has happened to me many times in my career by by both sides of an issue. I think that is a that is something every reporter basically gets accused of is ha- of having an agenda but i also think that like penetrating journalism that really elucidates a subject or really like opens something up is uh requires um not just not just good intention but real talent like real talent that is i think underappreciated like to really get to really produce a good piece of journalism requires a lot of talent. And, um, and you know, soccer's a small enough, I think it's still a small enough spectator sport in this country that there is not, say, the level of talent, let's just take an extreme example, the level of talent covering soccer that is covering the White House. You know what I mean? And um, that's, uh, if if like, when I find myself critical of a story or of a of something... More often than not, I'm just like, you know what? That guy is not that talented. Like he couldn't, he mm-hmm. couldn't pull it off. And uh, so that's my, that's like my perspective on it. And that's, and, and to a certain extent, that's exactly how I feel about Grant's piece about Jermaine Jones is that if that was, if that was any other, uh, you know, field, uh, you know, if that was about a, a football player or uh, if that was po- American politics or something like that, like that wouldn't have been like that shocking of a thing, but because, you know, anything halfway decent is so rare and hard to come by in American soccer that that did that, that, you know, the few quotes that came out of that, that piece from Grant made some pretty big waves in American soccer. It got, yeah. it got a lot of people to raise their eyebrows. And, and, and I think that that is not necessarily a, a credit or a discredit maybe uh, to, to Grant. It's, it, it's more of just like a overall, just kind of, systemic issue in in american soccer media it's just yeah like you said we don't have hard-hitting 
uh, uh, great piece producing type journalists that are that are putting out, you know, piece after piece after piece, week after week after week. And so when we get these things like Grant produced, and there's been you know numerous other ones by other people too, um, you know, those are, they're few and far between though. And the majority of stuff that we get is boring. It's the flavorless. It's um, yeah, yeah, to me, it, this is where I think of it as just reporting. It's just like, you know, the score was three to two and here was the goal score. And this is the minute it was it, It's like, that's what a lot of American soccer media is to me. So and, I, and it's sort just of regurgitation of, of that. Yeah. Sort of like scoops about transfers and um, stuff like that, which is, which is, which is good. I mean, which is useful. I mean, we all, we all want to know where the player is going next and stuff, but um, yeah, I think uh, my sense is, the athletic has raised the game. I think, I think I'm not saying they're perfect or anything, but I think they're the quality of their stuff is, I mean, it's better to have it than to not have it. That's for sure. And, um, my, my view is grant grants got a lot of access, you know, he, because he's such a big deal. He's got, you know, the 500,000 followers on Twitter and he works for sports illustrated. So he's like a big deal, quote unquote. And he has access to like people that I say, I don't have access to. But I don't think he's like nearly as skilled of a reporter and writer as, say, Brian Strauss, who was kind of on hiatus there for Sports Illustrated for a while. I think of of all the sort of reporters in the landscape, Strauss is the one who actually is talented. You know what I'm saying? That's my opinion. It's not a question. No, I yeah. I, 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 com- I completely agree, and and it goes. I I think it, Grant has made. Great out of you know his situation. I think that you know a lot of people don't know his history, and I don't know it to a T either. But you know he he was at Princeton the same time that Bob Bradley was at Princeton, and he was a you know a sports writer for the paper, not necessarily a soccer guy, but a sports guy. And and he made the best of his situation. He was in Bob's office all the time. He learned a lot about soccer. He, he asked the right questions of the guy that you know ultimately became the national team coach. And 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 you know I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate and say that you know that's the reason why doors open for him, but he's taken full advantage of, of, of his situation and, and, you know, the opportunities that he's had in front of him and gotten to where he is. I personally like the style of like a soccer America. I, I like what Paul and I like what, what Mike Waitala, I like what those guys do with, with the topics that they cover them and the way that they cover them. Yeah. What and the types of questions that, that and, and, and the types of questions that they ask too, like those guys are not beholden to anybody. They're, 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 they're their own thing. And I think that that is is a is a big big piece of the puzzle too. Is that there isn't a lot of independent um, media media members. We we I think I mentioned a little bit ago that you know a lot of the the beat writers and and, and whatever you know they they also write for MLSsoccer.com. You know even if they write for the Washington Post, they still write for MLS. Uh, so maybe they, they they'll they'll hold back a little bit. That maybe. I don't know. I, I I don't know what it is, but I know that Mike and Paul, like those guys are, are relentless and they ask, they ask very tough questions and I really enjoy what they, what they write. And I really enjoy how, how they cover things like, um, uh, racism in soccer, uh, the, the pay, the, the pay inequity. Um, I think they cover it from more of a genuine stance. I think these guys are genuinely interested and genuinely believe in, in these topics. Um, more so than, uh, than Grant, for example. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I do, mean, I do agree that, that, that Brian, that Brian's writing is, is, is also very good. Uh, but 
I, I don't know if he covers the topics that I'm necessarily interested in with the same type of conviction that I, that I'm looking for out of somebody. So I, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, Grant, w- one thing you got to say for Grant Wallace, he's a hard worker. He does produce a lot of content. So I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah. And, um, I, one thing I like about just agree with you a little bit about soccer America is they, they treat soccer, not so much as just like a pro sport. I think, which, which is the key, yeah. the key distinction there. They, they treat it as a, like a full holistic cultural phenomenon and that totally comes out in the way they what they cover and the questions they ask and i think it's i agree with you they're they're a treasure and that's exactly what that's exactly what it is though adam is that those guys see the game very similarly to how how i see the game is that it's more than just sport it's social it's political it's economic it's uh it's cultural like that like those guys see it from all those different angles and 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 that's how they choose to cover the game and that's how they that's how they ask questions that's uh how they choose topics to cover and 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 so that resonates with me uh rather than you know somebody like alexi who just you know hey you know we lost four zero to to whoever like here here's my here's my rant on on this and that it's like there's no there's no sincereness to that to me and i i kind of see through that yo you gotta do you gotta do yourself a favor and stop listening to alexi well, no, I, Dude, I did a long time ago. Yeah, okay. I did a long right. time ago. Um, let me eh, to, to, an, to, an, to an extent because you also have to you also have to know what these people are saying a lot of times. Like you have like if you if you're not in tune with with what they're with, with their message that they're pumping out there, then you're you're actually doing your your people a disservice too because you don't you, yeah. It, it's just important to know what the competition is up to. I guess I consider them competition. I I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like if he ever says anything of substance, I generally hear about it some way or another. But um Exactly. I got to go I got to go here pretty soon, but let me ask you uh let's just let's get off the big topics and get onto a small one if you don't mind. <laughs> what yeah, yeah. what who would you put on your US men's national team starting 11 right now? Roughly. Oof. <laughs> uh yeah, big uh big games coming up, huh? Let's see. I mean, um, sort of big games, not that big. It's it's tough, man. Uh, I'm not I'm not particularly stoked about any of the center backs that we have right now. So or 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 goalkeepers. Choose I think the least and, bad and, option, and, um, John. That's just that's what you'd have to huh? do if you were the coach. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I liked I liked one of your guys' most recent episodes where you guys said that you guys aren't even going to talk about goalkeepers because that's the stance that we've had it for for a long time too. Uh, <laughs> it just messes I, everything I'm not, up. I'm not too worried about yeah. I mean realistically, you know, if healthy it would probably be Stefan. Uh, you know, placeholder until I think, you know, a guy like uh, I, I would love to see a guy like David Ochoa rise in the next, you know, 2 years or so and here, here. claim that spot. I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of his. I know that you've highlighted too like his his attitude and his flavor, you know, with his little hand waves and his uh, little, you know, head moves of the referee or to the opponents and things like that. I, like I'm a fan of that type of, of stuff. Plus he's a phenomenal goalkeeper. So yeah. um, I would love to see somebody like that take, take the spot other than, you know, some players that are more robotic. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, if it realistically, it would, it would at the moment, maybe, maybe be Stefan. Okay. Uh, Stefan and goal. Achoa for the future. Center. Yeah. Uh, center backs right now. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not particularly stoked on 
on on anybody if I'm being realistic about who Burhalter has at his disposal plus who he's called in over the last uh, 12 months or so. I think ideally it would probably be Brooks and Long. Um, I hate doing this these roster predictions, by the way. I, I, I love forever. that you hate doing it and still have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Right back. Uh, I know you guys are super. You, you guys are super high on Reggie Cannon at right back. I I like Sergio Dest at right back, though. I think if Fair we're enough. doing a disservice to play him, to play him on the left, I know a lot of people. You know, you see like those little rosters floating around online. Um, I'm sympathetic. A lot to of people that, have too. him. Say it again. I'm sympathetic to that view. I do think it might be a disservice to play him on, on the left. So yeah, no, I, I I think so too. I think so too. I think that you I mean, you saw Tab play Tab played Dest at right back, you know, during the most uh, recent U20 World Cup, um, and, and that seemed to be the you know good fit for him. Uh, you you pair him with somebody like a healthy Polistic maybe in front of him uh, in 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 this next uh, run up in March or run out in March. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty exciting combination. I think that's a pretty lethal combination. And that kind of prefaces like what I want to see in the future on the left as well, uh, which would be something like super exciting to me, which would be Kobe Hernandez and Uliana on, on the left side. So if you have Destin Pulisic on the right and somebody like a, a pairing like Kobe and, and Uli on the left, like that's something I'm genuinely excited about. Yeah. I'd be Gen- excited like about I, that. I would be genuinely excited about that. Um, and, and, and yeah, so I think, you know, why, and this is the same conversation that we, that me and Joey were having for much of the U17 World Cup is that if Kobe Hernandez is your eventual left, starting left, left back for the U.S. men's national team, why are you wasting his time training him at left center back? Why are you wasting his game time at left center back? So if Serginio Dest long-term projects as the best right back for the American uh, or the U.S. men's national team. Why play him on the left at this at this time? Play him on the right. I get that, that, that's I, how I, I feel. You. I hear you. Yeah. So so if we got if, if, that, if that means Reggie Cannon if that means Reggie Cannon has to take a break, uh, or if he has to if he has to watch a, a, somebody that's better than him take the field, I'm okay with that. Certainly, greater tragedies have occur- have occurred than Reggie taking a break. So, um, <laughs> Kobe, yeah, I agree with you about Kobe playing left center back at the U17 World Cup. It didn't make a lot of sense. I was kind of okay with it because I thought it was like going to just going to be the reality and I don't know, maybe whoever would have stepped in at left center back would have been a total disaster, but uh it didn't it sure didn't work out, did it? Adam, a lot of people maybe don't know this about Kobe and and I don't think Joey and I did did a good job at all of maybe highlighting why he uh, you know, it, it was so important that he plays, you know, left back instead of left center back. Is that when you know through his entire youth career, he was a badass forward. He was a badass attacking player, hmm. and, and so he has like those attacking tendencies, and he has those that attack that that attack brain ingrained in him already. And and playing him as a left back gives him another uh, gives him another way to attack uh, the opponent, right? But when you put him at center back. Then you completely hamstring him. You, you like he he cannot do anything at all attack wise other than, than those phenomenal long balls that, that he's able to play. But that's not even that, you know that's not even the best part about his game. And, and so 
you know, that's when, when you think about like a Danny Alves or a Marcelo or something like that, imagine playing like somebody with that type of flair, that type of capability and, and, and putting them at, at, at center back. Like that was the type of, 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 of tragedy that, that I, I think kind of happened at the U-17 World Cup and, and hopefully does not continue to happen uh, as the kid, you know, gets older and older. Um, but, you know, oh, that, it won't, that's it won't why... continue to happen. It won't continue. No way. No way yeah. that continues to happen. But, but I, I don't know if people understood that, you know, like the, those attack, those attacking qualities, you know, that that's where he got him from as a, as a, you know, an early youth player, you know, he, he was an attacking player and that's, that is his background is to, is to be a freaking killer in the attack. Um, and, and playing at left back is, you know, a way for him to express that in a different way. So I think that's really important for people to know. Yeah. Okay. Who do you, so, I mean, Kobe's not really playing anywhere at the moment that we know of. I'm not asking you to give me any inside information on that, but like, who would you who would you put at left back in March for the U.S. Men's National Team? Kobe or? Uh, well, <laughs> I do. I think that he could actually do it. I think so. I think you know, Uli. A lot of a lot of a lot of people were surprised by what Uli did in in the most recent friendly. It's friendly against Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. I understand people are gonna you know bring that up as well. But it's a pretty I, solid I think Costa Rica that, that team. Be, yeah. But I think people would be surprised at what a lot of these young players uh, are capable of if they were thrown into the mix. I don't think Kobe would be completely in over his head if you threw him out there in, in friendlies in, in in March. But if I'm thinking realistically, it's it's not going to happen. So uh, more realistic is probably something along the lines of what uh, what you guys are, are are talking about on your podcast, which is probably Serginho on the left and Reggie Cannon on on the right. So. I think the way that, you know, the last friendlies and things have gone, I think that's pretty realistic. And I think on one of my recent podcasts too, I actually pointed out a moment where Reggie Cannon did something that I, that I was a big fan of. He was, he, he stayed super wide at one point and he was calling for the ball. He was wide open, had nothing but space in front of him going down the line. I think he started in his own defensive half, puts his arm out to, to show where he wants the ball, which is like right in front of him. And unfortunately, Brendan Aronson played like a, a bomb into the box and Reggie Cannon ended up having to do a 50-yard sprint against a Costa Rican player to go kind of track it down. Um, oh, so I think Brendan. paired with the right people, yeah. So, I, But I think paired with the right people, I think, you know, a player like, like Reggie uh, and then, yeah, on the other side, on the other side, Dest, I think that gets us through March, no problem. Okay. Um, how about, in, yeah, how about in the middle paired, of the field? Paired, paired with the right people. Uh, who's hurt this week? <laughs> well, I guess I <laughs> let's just assume uh, everybody's healthy by March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is um, not going to happen. But yeah, I mean, uh, you have. I, I mean, I, I, I could do my my hopeful, or I could do my my realistic one. So I'll give you probably a, a more realistic one. I think people are really longing for a healthy uh, midfield of you know Tyler Adams at, at a six. And Weston McKinney at an eight. I think we've seen a lot of those guys before. I'm not particularly stoked on those guys, but I I, I do think it's realistic that we'll con- uh, that we will continue to see them you know more in the future. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think realistically, if those guys are healthy, uh, that's what we'll see. I think the 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 ten is a is a pretty interesting spot. I don't know um, where Burhalter projects to play Christian in the future. A lot of people are, are saying now with the rise of Geo, with the introduction to, of Uli, 
Uh, you know, maybe those two guys occupy the winger spots and then Christian moves it to the 10. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think I, I said earlier that I, I would be a big fan of, of Dest on the right, Pulisic on the right, Uli on the left with Kobe on the left. So I think, you know, long term, I think that's, that's, that's what that needs to be. So I'd be a little bummed if, if Christian Pulisic gets put in that role of kind of floating around between a, a bunch of different spots. I think that's a disservice to him. I think he's a phenomenal winger. And I hope that's where that's where he gets to play. So the ten up in the air, uh, maybe somebody like Lejet or or something like that. I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of of Sebastian, but I'm also like I would I would rather have him over a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. I I sort of I basically agree with that. It's really interesting to hear you talk about this, John, because you don't often do that, right? So I think this I, is I don't I do this is, I do um, not. This is a great privilege for the Scuff Podcast. And who's your striker? Yeah. Who's your striker? Uh, yeah, so that's another interesting one, right? Like I, 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 I did like what I saw out of Ferreira, but again, I think that that was more of like a an experiment. I don't know if that's where he projects long term, so I don't know if that's where Burhalter wants to be playing him. Uh, Sergeant not having a great season, and I wasn't too high on Sergeant to begin with. I haven't really been high on him for for a few years. Um, I know a lot of people were, I'm not a Jossie fan whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I even, I even remember tweeting at at one point, like what's going to happen when Josh Sargent doesn't turn out to be the, the world class striker everyone's claiming him to be, uh, did you get, and people back then were like, Oh, you can't be. Yeah. Something similar. I think what that too tall guy just uh, called out somebody in your, in one of your threads for, it's like, what, what we can't be excited about people that are scoring goals. We can't be excited about this or that. It's like, you guys can be excited about whatever you want to be realistic about it because you know, everybody that scores a goal in in a European league is not, is not world-class. Everybody that makes an assist is not uh, a world beater. Um, So it's just, it's just keeping things in perspective. And so I, I try my best to do that. Um, and obviously, I think very highly of, of, of certain players. Um, and so people will see that from me and be like, well, look at you doing this now. It's like, well, yeah, but I really believe in those guys. So, um, yeah, so that's yeah, kind of that. You got to pick. I mean, to a certain extent, as a human being, you got to sort of pick who you rate. And um, I don't know, people who say, well, you rate, the, you, you, you favor some players or you stand some players. I don't have, I don't have much interest in that whole discussion because, like, you know, we're human beings with yeah. finite um, attention spans. I, I almost tweeted the other day: uh, if, a, if a hype train leaves New York City at the same time as a hype train leaves Dallas, what what train do Andrew Carlton fans get on? <laughs> and and I, I almost tweeted that, and I was like, eh, maybe not the right time. Whichever one passes through Indianapolis, uh, whichever one passes through <laughs> Indianapolis. Um, to answer your, to answer your question, I think I, you know, realistically we'll see somebody like Jossie or, or Josh. Um, but there's a lot of guys in the pipeline that, that, that are something to kind of be excited about. I'm a little, I'm a little bummed that we haven't seen Soto break through. I was a big fan of him. I, and I, and I still think that, you know, there's a chance for him to break through somewhere. Um, He's I, like, a I tough, like what he brings. He's a tough year or a tough eight months. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has. Um, but I mean, and we'll we'll see we'll see where he goes, where he ends up. Uh, could be could be good for him long term. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I think realistically, right now, just based on you know last year's rosters and and everything, I think somebody like Josh or or Josh is going to be in there. So if I had to choose between those two. I would go Josh with maybe Ferreira coming off the bench. Okay. 
I got to run. I'm sure you do too. John, thanks, uh, for, thanks so much. <laughs> hobble. You got to hobble somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> thanks yep. for your, thanks for your All time. Right, say hi to, say hi to the team and, uh, good luck to you with your surgery. Yep. Thank you. 